Thank you, ladies and John. If you would uh, take your Bibles, have them ready, and um, also your study sheets. Uh, even if you don't take notes, it might be good to uh, follow along. Let's pray. Our Father, our Creator, we acknowledge that you are the sovereign God. You're the eternal God. You are the Father of those of us who have responded to your grace, to your mercy, to your love, to your Son, Jesus. And Lord, today we, we want to hear from you. We have offered our praises to you. We have made some big statements in a couple songs about our commitment to you. And now, Lord, would you speak to us? Um, we who know you want to hear from you especially, Lord, to give us guidance, to remind us of truth, that we might be able to leave from here and live that truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Riley Gaines was an All-American swimmer at the University of Kentucky. Uh, during her senior year, she was ranked number two in women's swimming in the country, heading into the NCAA uh, National Championships. Leah Thomas was the swimmer for the University of Pennsylvania. Thomas was ranked number one heading into the NCAA Women's Championships for swimming. Leah Thomas was formerly known as Will Thomas. For his first three years at the University of Pennsylvania, he swam on the men's team. During that time, he was ranked nationally about number 432. But between his junior and senior years, he made a choice. He made a choice to identify as a female. And because of that, he was able to join the University of Pennsylvania's women's swimming team. And so Riley Gaines and Leah Thomas met in the championships. And Leah Thomas became the national champion. Six foot four, with all the characteristics of a male body, won the national championship, the women's national championship, because he chose a certain identity. You probably heard about this as school was beginning to start around the country, but the New Jersey Board of Education because of um, them deciding that their schools in the state needed to be gender neutral, required that the terms male and female not be used in the New Jersey schools. A 
A statement, something like you see on your sheet, um, it's heard often in uh, the transgender community, uh, stated in different ways, but generally this would be an example of statements you would hear. It says, since I was born in the wrong body, I do not accept my assigned gender. I choose to identify as, and then they fill in the blank, and there are many possible <laughs> words or terms that could be put there. Therefore, that is what I am. And if you do not affirm my choice, you are, and there are many different words and phrases you could put in that uh, blank. It's an interesting statement. It's an interesting um, way of thinking. I mean, just look at that statement. Since I was born in the wrong body, somehow a person has made the decision based on whatever it might be, concluding that they were born in the wrong body. How they come to that conclusion? Is it anything besides feelings and um, experience? But there has been a conclusion about themselves going back to birth, being born in the wrong body. And because of that, the statement says, I do not accept my assigned gender. Interesting, the term assigned is, is there. It's as though somebody made a decision about me without me having any say. They, they assigned, in this case, a gender. And I don't accept that. It goes on to say, therefore, I choose to identify as. I make my own choice, and this is the choice I make as far as my identity. This is how I want to identify. And so that is what I am, because it's my choice, my identity. And then, there's, there's often this additional thought, and you need to affirm that. You need to affirm my choice. And if you don't affirm my choice concerning gender, then you are, and unfortunately there are terms and words used that tend to uh, refer negatively to someone who may not affirm that choice. It's part of the transgender movement, and it uh, has been picking up steam, uh, moving right along, uh, becoming a powerful cultural trend. Um, and as you know, it's um, kind of bringing in even children into that, that movement. Transgender. Uh, the prefix trans simply means change. Uh, literally, it means to the other side. Um, and that is a, a prefix that's used in a lot of different areas. But here it's called transgender. So it's a changing of gender, moving from one to the other. Uh, typically, male to female, female to to male, but as you know, 
there are over 50 other possibilities um, uh, in that change that someone could choose. Um, what's happening is basically there's an identification with um, a gender that does not correspond with uh, biological sex when born. And that's the idea of the changing, the moving to another uh, gender and identifying uh, with a certain gender. And we have all kinds of vocabulary, um, phrases. Uh, we have uh, gender dysphoria. We have gender identity, gender fluid, gender neutral, gender transition, and, of course, gender affirming. I would guess that most of us know about someone or know someone personally who has made this uh, choice as far as how to identify uh, concerning gender. And so the question uh, becomes, for we who are followers of Christ, and as I told you last week, this series is mainly focused on those of us who know Christ. And uh, the question becomes, what are we to think? What are we to think about this? And uh, I would suggest the answer to that question is the same as it would be no matter what the subject. We are to think biblically. Makes sense, doesn't it? As those who are followers of Christ, we are to think about this subject of the transgender um, movement like we would think about any subject, biblically. And so the question, the right question, as we began with last week, then would be, what is written? If I'm to think biblically about this, well then what is written? What is the biblical way of thinking? What should be our baseline? What should be the standard upon which we build how we think? Come to what we think about this subject like any other subject. So this morning, I want us to look at the biblical baseline for answering the question, what is written, and how should we think about this? So if you would turn with me to Genesis 1. Our baseline is at the beginning. So we go back to the beginning to find that baseline for what we are to think. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at two verses, basically as we go back to the beginning here, to kind of see our baseline. The first verse is the very first verse of the Bible. And we're going to read it, and then we're just going to answer the question, what is written? What is there? What, what do we see? So, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the question is, what is written? 
Well, first of all, that verse tells us that there is a God, right? In the beginning, God. It's always been interesting to me to note that the scriptures do not begin with an argument for God. The scriptures don't begin taking the time to convince the reader there is a God. The scriptures begin simply saying, in the beginning, God. There is a God. Then it says that God is a creator, right? Isn't that what's written? In the beginning, God created. He's the creator. Then it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. That pretty much includes it all, doesn't it? And so what is written? There is a God. This God is the creator. And this God created the heavens and the earth. And if at that point we ask the question, how did he do that? We can just read on from there. And we find out that he created the heavens and the earth and everything in them by the power of his spoken word. Right? I mean, most of you are familiar with the rest of this chapter. It answers the how question. He created the heavens and the earth by the power of his spoken word. He spoke it all into existence. That's a lot of power. And so when we go back to the beginning, the very first statement in scriptures, what is written? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is a God. He is the creator. And he created the heavens and the earth by the power of his spoken word. That's what is written. Is it the truth? That's the question. That is debated, as you know. Is that first statement in Scripture the truth? If it isn't, we have a problem. You know what that problem is? If the first statement of Scripture is not true, it impacts the credibility of everything that follows in Scripture. Does that make sense? If the very first opening statement is not true, if there is any doubt about that first opening statement, then there will be a tendency to have doubts about anything else that follows that is written. I don't think it's a real perfect analogy, but let's say, 
Let's say you and I were just getting introduced. And you were just learning about me. And the first thing I said to you was that I was born in Texas. And I was a rodeo champion. And I have a whole wall of buckles in my home that show all the championships that I won as a bull rider. And it's not long before you find out that that, I'm not going to say that, that that is not true. Maybe you come to my home and you look over all the walls, there are no buckles. And you've talked to somebody who knows me well and you find out he's not telling you the truth. That first thing I said to you as we were getting to know each other, if that was not true, if that is proven untrue, what will that do to everything else I say to you from that day on? You're going to have some doubts, right? You're going to have some uh some care that you will take in trying to figure out, okay, everything else he says, I remember the rodeo thing, I remember the buckle thing, I remember the Texas thing. Uh, can I trust what he's saying now? You see, that the way we started out could affect my credibility. The Scriptures begin in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And he did it by the power of his spoken word. Is it true? If not, if there are any doubts, that is going to impact our approach to whatever comes next. Throughout all of Scripture. That first statement is pretty important. And the interesting thing is that particular truth is repeated and affirmed over and over again as you go through Scripture, right? I mean, you have just a few examples on your sheet. You go to the Psalms, Psalm 33 says the same thing. God, by the power of his spoken word, created everything. You go to the book of Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah makes reference to the fact that God is the creator. You go to the New Testament, Romans chapter 1. Paul points to God as the creator. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, in Athens, Paul refers to God as the one who created all things. So, you have the first statement saying that there is a God, he created, he created the heavens and the earth, and he did it by the power of his spoken word. And that message does not change as you go through Scripture. There's no evidence of that initial baseline, we'll call it, at the beginning, changing. The message remains the same. 
Let's go to verse 27. Genesis 1, 27. What is written? Here is what is written in Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does that say? Well, it says God created. We've already seen that. That's been described for us as far as the heavens and the earth. But now it moves on and makes a statement about God. The creator says God created mankind. God created human beings. And interesting, you have a twist here. You have something different from the rest of the creation. It says, in the image of God, he created them. In the likeness of God. There's something special. There's something unique about human beings in their creation. And we don't have time to discuss what that all means, but it's different. It's special. It's unique. Human beings created in the likeness of God. There's, there's something about human beings that we share with God that he has shared with us in creating us. And it's called his image, his likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. What is written? Male and female, he created them. To use a modern day term, what is written is that when God created human beings, it was a binary creation. Two. Two genders. That's all it says. I count two. Male and female. Then, of course, we ask the question, well, how? How did he do that? Was it by the power of his spoken word, like everything else? And again, no, there's something special. There's something unique. There's something different about this creation. Not just that there were two different genders, male, female, but the way it happened was different, unique, and special. For the male, we go to chapter 2, verse 7. 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed a man. Notice, formed a man. He didn't say, let there be a man, and there was. He formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. God personally, hands-on, formed the first man, the first male. We go toward the end of the chapter to answer the question, how did he create the female? The second gender, verse 18, the Lord God said, 
It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I will make another one like him, yet different, so that this person can correspond, fit with him. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Again, personally, hands-on, God formed the first female from the rib of the man. What is written? That's what's written. God created human beings in his image, in his likeness. He created male and female, too. And he did it in a very personal, hands-on way. But here's the question. That's what is written. Is it true? Is it true? Because if it isn't, if what is written there is not true, that opens the door in people's minds. To add whatever they want to add, to change whatever they want to change as to what is written. If there are doubts as to the truth of it. But the interesting thing is, as you go through Scripture, what is written here in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 1 remains the same. The, the message throughout the Scripture, and go ahead this week and read the whole Bible, okay, if you want. The message throughout the Scripture remains that there are males and there are females, men and women, boys and girls. You aren't going to find any change as you read through Scripture. That, that message just doesn't change. It doesn't go from two binary, male and female, to 50-some possibilities. You won't find that in Scripture. And you know what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 6? Do not go beyond what is written. He quotes an important saying back then when he was writing. Do not go beyond what is written. And he applies it to a situation he was writing about. But it's a great principle, isn't it? Do not go beyond what is written. But if these statements in Genesis 1 and 2 are not true, or if we have any doubts about their truth. It does open the door, at least in our minds, to go beyond what is written. Obviously, I was not created, and none of you men were created in the exact same way the first man was created. Obviously, you women... And you girls were not created in the exact same way 
that Genesis 2 describes how the first female was created. For how we are created, for how everyone after that was created, we go to the book of Psalms. Psalms 139. Psalm 139, how did all the other human beings come to be after that first male and that first female were created in this special hands-on way by God? Well, the wonderful thing is every one of us was created in a beautiful hands-on way by God. But a little different. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you were cre- For you created... Writer speaking to God. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame, my skeleton, was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. That's how I was created. That's how you were created. That's how every male after the first male has been created. That's how every female after the first female was created. What's the common denominator? The creator. God created us in the womb. The the words are are amazing. Created, knit me together. Woven together. Made. I mean, just, again, hands-on. God creating. I was fortunate enough to be around for uh, six Births. We have six children. Um, I believe, based on what is written, that all six of them were created, knit together, woven together, made, formed in my wife's body, in the womb. I have no doubts about that. That means that their skeleton, their organs, their genes, their chromosomes, their DNA, it was all put there in the womb and put together to form that being. One ended up being a girl, female. One ended up 
well, five, one at a time, ended up being boys, male. The question becomes, who decided which? Was it the doctor? Okay. There's this little person, this baby. Did the doctor then decide? Going to be a boy. Going to be a girl. Was it Janine and I? Did at some point we make the decision? No. Going to be a girl. We'll call her Allison. Going to be a boy. Call him Mark. Did we make that decision? No, we didn't. Um, did the baby make the decision? Did the baby come into this world and say, I am going to be this? Or did we have to hold off naming them until they got to the age where they could decide which one they wanted to be, boy or girl? Did our friends decide their gender? Did the government decide their gender? Did the media decide their gender? What is written? The one who created them in the womb obviously decided their gender. God made the decision. And it was binary. Just like the baseline in Genesis says, male or female. He gave the chromosomes. He gave the DNA. He gave the genes. He gave everything that determined the gender. Is that true? You know, in, in, in Matthew, well, maybe you should look at this. I don't think you mind staying here till 2. Matthew chapter 19. This is Jesus. By the way, like I said last week in this series, I'm taking my cue from Jesus because Jesus said so many times what is written. So many times. That was the question he would ask, what is written? Here's one of those times. In uh, Matthew 19, verse 4, the subject happens to be divorce, but I want you to notice what he says when he's drawn into this discussion. In verse 4, he says, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? That's Jesus. You see, what was written in Genesis 1 and 2 in Psalm 139, it, it never changed. Because when Jesus came along, he says, haven't you read what is written? In the beginning, the baseline, God created Male 
and female. It, it doesn't change throughout Scripture. Same message. This is a serious issue. I hope you understand that. This is a serious issue. This whole transgender thing. I want to show you why. In this whole area of transgender and the choices that are being made and the reasons that are being given and the, the process of these changes and um, the whole mentality, if you really boil it down to a root issue, here's what it is. If what is written is true, which I believe it is, okay, and has not been changed throughout Scripture, here's the root issue. People are saying no to God's creative work and design. That's what's happening. People are saying no. To what is written. To God's work, his creative work and design. Now, whether they know what that is or not, whether scripture means anything to them or not, that's what's happening. People are saying no to God's creative work and design. People are saying no to God's gender choice. He made the choice. That's what is written as the creator. But people are saying no to God's gender choice. Which means people are saying no to God himself. And that, my friends, is a serious issue. Because that means that there are people who believe they can override the creative work, design, and choice of God. I mean, let that sink in. People believe they can override the creative work and design and choice of God. Really interesting passage in Isaiah 45. Take a look at it. Isaiah 45. Starting in verse 9. Isaiah 45, 9. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker. Those who are nothing but potsherds. Piece of pottery. Among the pieces of pottery on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say, 
The potter has no hands, doesn't know what he's doing. Woe to the one who says to a father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother, what have you brought to birth? We have that picture of a potter in clay, and, and basically, you know, um, it's using that picture to cause people to think of God as the potter and people as the clay, and yet people thinking they have the right to question what God is making, his choice, his work. But some might say, well, that's just a kind of a neat word picture in the Old Testament. Well, let's go to Romans chapter 9, because we find that when Paul is dealing with the subject he's addressing, which is different than Isaiah, he uses the same idea in Romans 9.20. He says, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Same point he's making, right? God is the potter, we're the clay. Do we have a right to say, why did you make me like this? Do we have the right to disagree with how he made us, do we have the right to override his choice and change what he has created? I mean, that makes this a really serious issue. It really does. It's a spiritual issue. It's saying no to God. It's saying no to his creative work and design. It's saying no to his gender choice. And that is not a good idea. So, what do we do? If we hold to what is written in Scripture, if we believe the baseline in Genesis where it all started, and if we believe that throughout Scripture that doesn't change, the message remains the same about the creative work of God and His design and His choice, then what do we do? Now, it's possible you may not like what I say we should do. But I'll say it this way. The sovereign, creative work of God matters. It matters. A lot of people in this world, they don't think it matters because they doubt if it's true. Or they reject that it's true. But we who know the Lord, we who belong to Him, we who follow Him, we who hold to what is written, we who believe it is true, The creative work and design of God matters. I hope it matters to you. God's gender choice 
was autonomous. What does that mean? It was independent. He made it. Nobody helped him. Nobody else made it. Based on what is written, God made that choice. His sovereign choice. He made the gender choice as he created each of us. And since he created our bodies, since he made the gender choice, since he decided that I would be male, since he decided that many of you would be male, since he decided many of you would be female, it was going to be one or the other, binary creation, then he must have a purpose for the choice he made for you and the choice he made concerning me. Because God has a purpose for everything. He has a design. He has a plan. So my challenge to us is to understand that. And understand his purpose in his gender choice for each of us. And to find that purpose, we start in Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. I want you to see what comes before Romans 12. That brings us into this big statement at the beginning of chapter 12. Starting in chapter 11, verse 33. And try to think about what's being said here in the context of what we've been talking about. And how it may relate to what we've been talking about. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. In other words, his choices. And his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this is a challenge to believers, brothers and sisters. I urge you to offer your what? Bodies. As a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Because of who God is, chapter 11, because he makes the decisions, because we are not his counselors, because of the greatness of God, we are encouraged by Paul to offer our bodies. And it is the word for the physical body. We like to take this and, and, and move it often away from the physical body. You know, give him your whole self. Give him your heart. 
Give him your mind. Give him your whatever. But the word is bodies. That's what's written. And all those things we focus on are contained in our body, right? And so the, the apostle says, offer your bodies. What body? The body God created. The body God made. The male body or the female body. He says, offer it as a living sacrifice to God. And he goes on and says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. There's, there are a lot of patterns out there, right? Even on this subject. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. But be, and here it is, transformed. The Bible does say you need to change. You need to be transformed. But what needs to be transformed? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer your bodies, the ones God created, the ones God assigned a gender to, male or female. Offer them to him. Don't be conformed to the world and what they say about your body. Be transformed. He's not talking about changing your body. He's saying, change your thinking. Change your thinking. Be renewed in your mind. First Corinthians, the next book, and then we'll wrap it up. First Corinthians chapter 6. Last two verses, verse 19 and 20. Again, the apostle speaking to the people of God, those who have trusted Christ, who are followers of him. And he says, do you not know that your bodies, okay, the body God created, the body that God determined would be male or determined would be female, he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. If, if you are a follower of Christ, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with what? Your bodies. Your body belongs to God. He gave it to you. He determined the gender. Honor him with the body he created. Honor him with the body he gave you. That's where it has to start, friends. You know, I don't know what you think about the transgender movement. I don't know your attitude toward the people who are you know, whatever word you want to use, confused, um, deceived, uh, thinking they can override God's creative work and design and, and gender choice. I, I, I don't know. 
But I do know that the place to start, like any other subject, is first of all what is written, what does the Word of God say, and secondly, what am I supposed to do? And the first thing I'm supposed to do is present my body, the one God gave me and chose to be male, to him. And I am to honor him with this body that he created and gave me and determined would be male. That's where we start. Now, I think there are other things written, and we'll look at them toward the end of the series as far as what we should do and how we should think and how we should relate, that type of thing. But the place to start is, what do I do about the body God created me? What do I do about the fact that he chose my gender? What do I do? The answer is, offer this body to him and honor him with the body he gave me. One more verse and we're done. Back to Psalm 139. It's really interesting, something that the writer says as he's describing God's creative work in the womb. Psalm 139, verse 14. In the midst of describing God's creative work in the womb, uh, weaving us together, knitting us together, making us, determining the gender, the DNA. Uh, by the way, you know what DNA stands for, right? I mean, there are the long medical scientific words it stands for. But if you want to remember a little more easily, DNA stands for do not alter. Okay. DNA doesn't change. Someone put that DNA in there before we were even born. But notice what the writer says when he's describing that. Verse 14, he says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. What work is he talking about? God creating him. His body in the womb. Here is the challenge. I challenge you, those of you who know the Lord and care about what is written, and seek to build your life upon the baseline of Scripture. Go from here and be gender-affirming. Like the psalmist did, affirm the gender God gave you. That's what he does there, isn't it? He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You made me. You made me male. You made me female. And I affirm the gender you gifted me with. And I offer that to you.
And I commit to honoring you with the body you gave me. That's where we start. That's where we start. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. You are the creator. We believe that. That is the baseline of what we believe. Everything else builds on that. Father, you created us. You created human beings. You created each one of us. You made the choice. Father, I pray that you will help us to respond by offering the body you gave us, the gender you gave us, you chose to give us. That We offer it to you to honor you. May we be people who affirm your choice for us. May we affirm your creative work. And Lord, may that bring glory to you. And may it somehow, Lord, be a witness in this world that seems to go the other way. Father, thank you that as the creator God, you love us. And you have offered your grace to us through Jesus. That is amazing. And we thank you. May we hold to what is written, Father. And respond to it in a way that honors you. In Christ's name, amen.